Whether you call them influencers or content creators, people with large audiences who align with brands bring a benefit, engagement, authenticity. That's what they bring to a marketing campaign. And with us today to tell us how to best manage and measure that relationship is Ryan Deddert. He's CEO of Influential, the AI social data and conversion platform that matches brands with influencers. And we're talking today about influencer marketing. Why? Because everyone's talking about it. Maybe a year ago, two years ago, it was like, why do I need to do influencer marketing? Today, it's different. It's why am I not doing it? And we're going to be talking about that topic with Ryan Deddert, CEO of Influential. But before I get into all of that, I want to just take a step back with my guests. First of all, Ryan, thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Peggy. I'm excited to be here. Well, you know, it's a great company. We're going to talk about that. But we want to talk about consumer appetite for influencer marketing first, because as I said at the top, Everything's changed. Maybe before it was a why. Now it's a why not. I'd like to understand how that has changed and what has influenced you to develop Influential. Well, I would say that for those that are in the media or even the venture world, the TAM, total addressable market for 2022 is estimated to be as high as $16 billion with a B in terms of influencer, marketing, or creator even the creator economy has, has been purported to be over 100 billion if you count all the different parts that go with it. Uh, so we see a massive increase in dollars in this space. And it all started for me uh, back in 2010. Uh, at my height, I had 30 million followers on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I am not famous, I don't sing or dance, I don't have any talent. Um, instead, I built what are called niche accounts. So for example, and I've sold most of these off, but at travel, at automotive, at fashion and style, like the dot coms, but on social platforms. So I realized I couldn't find a way to drive, you know, brand safety, technology, media measurement. I couldn't get brands to jump into this new economy that you know, was very nascent back in those early two, uh, 2010s. Uh, and today, where we stand as the largest influencer company by revenue in the space, that was the goal was to find ways to initially to get dollars in the hands of creators but it really shifted into how do we get the ecosystem to be where it needs to be? So the more dollars that brands get back in ROI and ROAS, some sort of outcome, the more dollars they put back into the hands of creators because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that more creator dollars equals more revenue dollars for brands. So yeah, everything that's happened to date from our AI technology to our measurement partners to you know, alignment with the major social platforms is benefiting both creators, but also the brands and their wallets. And that's impressive, not just the growth of your company. I'm just thinking 30 million followers and you didn't do a dance to get them. Really not impressed with that. Ryan, what did you do to get them? Just the niche accounts. Yeah, think about it. So if, you know, this is again pre-paid media, which is, you know, obviously ubiquitous now, uh, you really couldn't find a way to, to target travel followers unless you had a travel account. So I was just finding ways to create niche communities and they became very large. I mean, at the height, Travel was in the, in the million, you know, seven plus million followers. Uh, so in that scenario, it became a large channel. But initially, it was in the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands for many years. And just creating content that resonated well with people in their wanderlust to go drive, travel around the world and the best beaches and the best moments and the best, you know, things happening, you know, going to the most iconic places in the world. That led to people retweeting it, commenting it. So back in Twitter days when that was the most relevant platform. And then converting that to the Instagram world, which became more of the, you know, the aspirational world of 
How do I then have people that or um, friends of mine that were travelistas took over the accounts and they went and traveled and captured content. So there was a, an evolution of these spaces, but it really was about community building. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a good call, Ryan, because this was a while back. And since then, you know, your company, the world's largest platform by revenue, revenue that's over nine figures, which is extremely impressive as well. But what contributed most, do you think, to this growth since your start back in your launch in 2016? You know, is it the social intelligence tool set that you offer to listen or is it the massive talent network you're putting together and have put together to create? The unifying, I guess, single piece is the data. Now, mm -hmm. the creators or supply side, you have to have that, it has to exist. We have multi-millions and um, for us, that wasn't the hardest part. We've been around so long, we've given so many, so many given out hundreds of millions of dollars to any creator. So they want to be on our platform and get fortune 1000 deals, but uh, pre campaign and post campaign stats on who is the best possible creator based on their demography, on their contextual relevance, on their psychographics on the front end, are they good fits um, on the back end? Is it driving to online sales, offline sales you know, in the grocery store, you know, foot traffic into restaurants, uh, TV tune in for major, you know, sporting, uh, you know, leagues or, or major, uh, major IP. And if you can measure those things and you can attribute it back to the name, image and likeness of content creators and the paid media to boost that, uh, you see a tremendous amount of dollars flow into the space. And that was really it, it was being a data and a transparent um, layer as opposed to being a manager or agent pitching your talent saying this person's the best for Coke or Pepsi. We actually say statistic, uh, stat wise, as well as, uh, you know, uh, inputs from both the creator, from the platforms, from the consumers, who is the best person. And that is the, the defining uh, deliverable, not based off of who we represent. Mm -hmm. In prep, we had a little bit of a joke there because I said, OK, you look to me to be the sales force of social. Um, don't know if that's going to be your new tagline or strap line, um, but uh, that does sum it up. In, in, a, in a sense for me, does it look like that for you? Because another of your aspects, one of strength is also, as you said, the data and you've got APIs as well to underline that. Sure. So we have, uh, and this is a very big number and I realize it sounds uh, ridiculous, but we have over a hundred billion with a B data points in our system. And the reason that exists and why it's so powerful We've pulled in billions of posts from all these social platforms and via these APIs uh, and via um, you know, uh, you know, our technology, we're basically not just ingesting, pulling in that from the private APIs from platforms, but also enriching it. So looking for image recognition for maybe uh, things that you're, uh, you're talking most often about, cars or travel, um, brand logo recognition, are they actually um, you know, having logos of, you know, the golden arches or of, you know, of iconic things. That's all part of the layer of enrichment we have. Um, we also have obviously all the demography of who their actual followers are um, and information that, and things they're talking about, you know, outwardly from a textual perspective as well. So when you have all of that and you provide that to the Fortune 1000 or D2C companies, it gives them that kind of overarching eye of who should I be working with? Who's speaking about my brand already? And how do I activate with them?
Mm -hmm. So really very much a matchmaker capacity is what I'm hearing here. You know, what is that match? Because that's a big question. People always talk about what is the match with my brand? It has to be an influencer who's believable, who's authentic, not necessarily the vanity metrics. Are you looking at this then? Well, let me rephrase that. How are you looking at this to make that match? What are all the points, data points, but also the traits that come into making this decision? What does a brand need to be considering? So there's a, I'll, I'll walk through a few different um, kind of levers we have to pull for a brand. I take one step back and say for brands, the way we've allowed for us to grow this large and really uh, be in their you know, media mix is that we are looking at influencer marketing as a, as a media buy on social. It's a CPM buy. So they can compare it to their digital, their social, their linear. And with that, they want to find not just uh, does that person look the part, they, they fit the commercial aspect of what they want to get across, but really importantly is the audience, uh, age, gender, geo, household income, uh, affinities, things that are the audience's uh, you know, traits and, and, uh, and data points to say, is that a perfect fit for XYZ company? Um, it might be, it might, might be a high-end, you know, watch company. They, they need to find people that have bought watches in the past or speak about it often. So there's a number of ways to determine the demography of an audience on the social platforms. Next, contextually, whether through image or text or video, are they already mentioning that brand? Are they mentioning competitor brands? Are they you know, aficionados in that, ver in that vertical? All of that is, is provided back. We're pulling all that information in consistently from these social, from these uh, influencers uh, so they can get brand deals. And people, it's funny, sometimes influencers are like, how, are you guys clairvoyant? How do you know I love blank? Well, because you've spoken about it or you've posted a picture of that in the past. And it might have been eight years ago, but all of that lives and exists you know, in the social sphere. Uh, so we're providing back contextual relevancy. And then lastly, um, psychographics. So psychographics through our partnership with IBM, with Watson, uh, there's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll spare you the, the, the college psychology lesson, but there's essentially 47 key traits or attributes that, it com that compi comprise a human or a brand from hedonism to altruism, to conservatism, to liberalism. Uh, and based on how people are speaking on social, their semantic data, um, their, their punctuation, their word usage, that determines how they're perceived. So when you can look at someone's perception by a, by a consumer, the audience themselves uh, and uh, what they're speaking most oftenly about, you have a very powerful way to, uh, you know, triangulate the best possible ambassador. You've been working with, uh, you know, just the who's who of brands. I won't even start to read them here, but one interesting story I saw just recently in August that's standing out for me is not just working with brands, you're working with the Major League Baseball Players Association to help the players maximize their social media opportunities. Tell us a little bit about that. What are you doing precisely? And what's been the most gratifying outcome to date? So my 12-year-old self is very proud of me. Uh, <laughs> we, work, we work with the MLBPA, with NFL, with NBA, NASCAR, WWE, pretty much every, every major social, uh, every major sports platform. Um, and MLBPA, we announced uh, last, this year, earlier this year, mm -hmm. I'm not sure what year it is anymore, uh, earlier this year with uh, in Forbes, and that was how to help the 1,200 plus players understand their audience and use that to build their audience and monetize, you know, their passions. 
So not everyone is going to be the MVP, the the big uh, the big player on campus. Um, you're going to have people that are you know, going through the process of uh, involving their career, but also trying to find a way to have a career past this by building an audience and really maximizing that um, you know this moment. So uh, we have a number of people that may not make the the big bucks, but are getting brand deals based off of having these insights around who their audience is and why they love a product. And one of the examples is also a press piece we did was with a longstanding baseball uh, sponsor, JB Weld. Uh, It's adhesives. It's, you know, it's hardware based stuff. Um, But we had a player that his name is Austin Riley. Uh, He's over at the Atlanta Braves uh, whose audience was a perfect fit. They did home improvement that really aligned well with the brand. Uh, and it made sense because they were also sponsoring the uh, you know, MLB and different, different stadiums. So that was a great alignment that you know, created content on Instagram, on different platforms. And that was just based off of not is it the biggest and best player by stats. It's do they actually have the most specific niche audience in that local region or that local location? And that's true because it has to be that fit. That's what you're looking at. It's very clear that social media platforms are indispensable tools for growth. You know, virality is great. Measurability, as you're showing, sustainability, that fit, that's better. And this means influencer marketing is becoming more of a data game than a popularity contest. Um, Just in a few words, maybe just one way, what is the one way that you tell brands that they can measure or best measure ROI? on their influencing marketing dollars, given it's a data game? So I would figure out what your KPI is, key performance indicator, and there is a stitch for every possible KPI from top of funnel brand awareness, to consideration, to intent, to actual online sales through pixels or tracking through UTM codes, to offline sales. So partners like IRI or Nielsen or Oracle, have uh, ways to measure in-store purchases of products, CPG products, for example, um, at the register. Uh, There is uh, footfall. So whether it's a restaurant or a retail location, driving people in that could be conquesting from other locations or driving loyalty from existing customers. It can be uh, TV tune-in, I mentioned before, but driving people to watch the big game or to tune into a new series. All of that is measurable, whether it's through the smart TVs and test and control methodologies. When I say test and control, it's a simple simple concept, but it's difficult to deliver. When mm-hmm. you take the name, image, and likeness and content of a creator, and then you apply a test and control, which is an audience that is for sure seeing that sponsored content from an influencer, and a holdout group, the control, that is not seeing that content, you look at the delta between those two groups. And that is a way to determine did my content from an influencer, despite being a lot of things in the mix from TV, radio, digital, but these homogenized audiences, they were only exposed with one extra variable, and that was the influencers and their content. We're able to show, and we've shown it in the, in the multi-billions of dollars for clients over the years, that we drove actual real-world outcomes. And that's what drives people to be you know, consistent customers, come back again and again, because they don't want to turn us off. They don't want to turn creators off. They see the results. Mm-hmm. And we're going to look at some opportunities and other ways also that we can use social media creators, the whole economy to increase ROI. But we do have to go to break, Ryan. Hate to do it, but we do have to do it. But then it's a cliffhanger because we find out some great best practice and some great next steps. So listeners, don't go away. 
We'll be right back after the break. For maximum customer engagement and retention, choose CleverTap. CleverTap is a leading customer engagement and retention platform that helps digital brands maximize lifetime value. Over 8,000 apps around the world, including Vodafone, Star, and Sony, trust CleverTap to improve user engagement, boost retention, and fuel long-term revenue growth. Learn more at CleverTap.com. That's CleverTap.com. Welcome back. I'm here today with Ryan Dedert. He is CEO of Influential. We're talking about influential marketing. And right before the break, Ryan, you told us how to measure ROI, basically a control group, and you see the difference, and that moves the needle on your influencer marketing campaigns and dollars. What's a way that you tell your clients they can increase their ROI? And it goes kind of back to the concept of micro, macro, mega size talents. And everyone has different definitions for the size, but as you can imagine, the micros are probably sub 50,000 followers. There's been an explosion in the last three or so years um, to drive people via hometown heroes, micro macro creators. And while we love the megas, we love the celebrities and the people who have millions of followers, think about it like this. The Rock is a phenomenal spokesperson. He's got probably 200, more than that, 200 million plus on Instagram alone. But the number of people in his audience that are, I'll make up a, a demography, that are 25 to 44 female in the major cities with a certain household income that have an affinity for DIY is like 5 million of that 20. So if you are going with a broadsword and taking someone that is going to go far and wide, it's great for awareness of a brand, but it's not going to drive the best amount of beauty conversions or whatever that audience is going after. Uh, so what we're saying is go with a scalpel. Uh, so pick maybe lookalikes to the rock. People that have hundreds of thousands and millions of followers have similar audiences um, that have, uh, you know, even maybe may in the same, you know, fitness type, uh, you know, POV that he has in the same star power. Uh, and then they're much less expensive. And then you take the remaining dollars you would have spent on a major celebrity and you marry that with paid media. And that's if I could take one takeaway for brands. And it's always interesting to hear that some brands still haven't made that last kind of leap that needs to happen. You take the creator and their handle and you boost it. And there's a number of terms for it. Like there's like spark ads on TikTok. There's, um, you know, some called, I've called it whitelisting or amplification. Everyone has different uh, terms for it per platform. But you take custom audiences of people that have taken some sort of action in the real world, whether they bought a soda, they've gone to a restaurant, they buy high-end watches, whatever that audience is. And you then take those audiences from a live ramp or a third party like Expedia or Experian, uh, and you, up, you upload it into the actual uh, uh, social platforms, and you can actually then target and measure the efficacy. So I would suggest going with micro macro talent, shrinking the, the uh, non-working media, and then adding working media to drive real-world outcomes and measure and optimize accordingly. So that's the best way I would, I would tell talents. That gels a lot. And dovetails with what I'm hearing, the paid and organic mix. And then you said it yourself, you know, boosting that, doing something to throw your brand power behind the power of the creator, because it's going to create that cycle of the bigger they get and the more, uh, the more important they become to their audience, the more it's going to benefit the brand. Do they see it that way or do they need to 
understand that mindset? So on the on the brand side, I think there a lot of the paid media teams are seeing the outsized returns, you know, uh, attention metrics of 50% higher, uh, sound on, valid and viewable impressions, video completion rates are increasing when putting paid towards a creator handle versus a O&O handle. And on, but mm -hmm. one that's thing that's very important that I think is a misnomer, miscommunication. The assumption is that brands go, well, if I'm going to put paid media behind a, uh, a creator handle, not my own handle, you know, then that creator shouldn't charge me for it because they're getting a bunch of amplification. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. If you think about it, almost like a celebrity SAG model. Uh, you know, if you see billboards around you know, the world or in the U.S. or, or in L.A. Um, or even commercials on TV, when it runs to a larger audience or stays up past its you know billboard date or its commercial run rate, um, more money is given. A percentage of that spend goes back to those that were in it. So think of it like that. Really, it's a it's a residual um, scenario where they're getting either a front end buyout of the usage rights to get boosted, or they will continually get more dollars to extend that over time. So uh, just that, that's a, a hurdle in the last few years that we've seen most brands get over. Um, but it's important because if you if you don't have usage rights, you're really missing out on probably half the value of your campaign. Mm. Another place where there's value in influencer marketing is at that intersection of social and shopping always was that way, but now it really is because we've got social commerce, we've got live streaming. It's a live and lucrative event. I've seen it everywhere. I'm based in Europe. We had an event in Berlin for the Berlin fashion show, you know, hundreds of millions worldwide looking at this. So, I mean, it was happening. It's huge in APAC. Coming on, as I said, in Europe, not so yet in the U.S. Why is that? Why is social commerce lagging in the States? So it comes down to consumer behavior. Um, in APAC, uh, they're about three to five years ahead in pretty much most of the social uh, platforms and, and feature sets. So, for example, uh, in 2019, short form video became you know, hot in the scene, exploded with TikTok, and then obviously Reels came with their stuff. Um, since 2015, 2016, that's been the norm uh, in APAC. So people, you know, were more accustomed to creating content easier, to creating short-form video, and that becoming a really way, easy way to get someone to a, to, 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 to view something. Um, now that uh, we are, again, still three or five years behind, we're now jumping into live streaming, live shopping. Um, and when you think about social commerce, it really is a number of branches below it. There is the shoppable video, there's shoppable um, affiliate links that exist in these social platforms, which is just getting kicked off in the last couple of years. Um, and then you have like the real big leap. What is like the, the game changer that will happen at some point in the next 24 months? It's going to be a the evolution of live streaming, which is going exponentially thousands of percent increase month over month across these platforms from usage of live streaming but then turning into live shopping. So viable live streaming. And some people will see it as the QVC or the HSN of social. Others will just see it as live streaming with some sort of outbound click that exists or way to, to find a UTM code. And for us at Influential and for our brands, we're walking through the entire, we have something we call the uh, creator commerce engine. We ask them what they need to find and deliver on, what their KPIs are for, driving people to a consistent basis to, to buy their products on these social platforms. And the good news is um, these platforms make it easier to get higher click-through rate, higher conversion rates. And we're seeing 
you know, 10, 20% increases in using, you know, uh, shoppable video, things that are endemic to the platform than driving people outbound to a traffic location that has, you know, anything happens, you drive someone outbound, it could be a slow load, it could be, you know, a bounce, it could be any number of things. So I would, I would say that what, uh, what we're seeing is consumers are changing their behaviors. Brands want to find out what consumers are doing. And then as they see an ROAS for this, and it's not there yet, I'd say you'd be hard pressed to launch your first live shopping campaign and see an immediate return. It has to be consistency. And that goes back to the creators. Only in the last few months and last six months are they making almost the equivalent of linear TV. They're making, I'm going live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. That's my time. Come tune in to talk about X. And that allows for brands to integrate and then allow for them to show products, provide the reviews and drive those behaviors um, for the intent to buy and then the actual uh, purchase on these different sites. What channels is that going to be? Because of course, Facebook no longer has its shopping. There is the shoppable ads. They're coming on shoppable videos. That's still coming on very strong. A lot I'm hearing about TikTok, but maybe also other channels. Where is this going to play out? With the meta piece, uh, it still exists on Instagram, and that's still a predominant place where creator economy is uh, is booming. Uh, so that hasn't affected there as much. Um, uh, TikTok has things they put on the market, and it, it, we've, we see campaigns run you know, for our clients all the time with that. I would say that um, while these YouTube, YouTube's metas and TikToks of the world and Pinterest, et cetera, you know, figure out their narrative and investment because it's going to be investment as, as they do it. There's so many uh, retail uh, networks. So there's like live shopping networks that are, you know, I, my good friend Brian is at Top Shop Live. There's Bamboozer. There's Live Scale. There's all these different companies that exist both in Europe and America and Latam, um, opposite APAC. And they may be niche. They might have millions of tens of millions of people that uh, use their uh, their services and tune in or or it embeds on websites as opposed to being in its own uh, you know uh, kind of walled garden uh, so those are going to drive a lot of the uh, niche but important sales to get the behaviors and then as the platforms learn from them and learn from the behaviors of their you know their, their, their beta testing their audience obviously the audience of a TikTok or a meta is unmatched no no live shopping one-off app right now is going to catch up with them anytime soon. Just there's too much ground to cover. Uh, so we're seeing uh, a lot of uh, people doing that through uh, third-party uh, companies, but uh, testing out on the metas, on the TikToks, and also on the YouTubes. So it's exciting because it can be on the metas, on the YouTubes, on the TikToks, but you can do it on other platforms. You can look at different approaches. And it's sort of like in the early days when we were talking about could a retail brand have a social media network and presence. And many, many did. Many did try. Net-A-Porta did it. Many gaming companies do it, proving that you can have this in a lot of different platforms. Is that what you're seeing? What's the most exciting opportunity there? Yeah, I, I think it's it almost takes one step back from the commerce piece and while commerce in the, the flow of ease to convert and having like an, an inbox window while you're watching to so you never leave the experience. I think the most exciting part is that I think people are starting to realize that this ad unit, this live streaming ability is incredibly powerful. You may have a million followers, only have a thousand concurrent people on your live that equates to tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands. If you, if you go live for long enough, 
where people spend more than a few seconds scrolling, seeing something, then moving on. And you're getting them with, you know, you see it in the comments and the amount of engagement happening there. It's a way to really connect and have that, what feels like a one-to-one -one scenario with your, uh, you know, in a live scenario uh, with your audience. That's incredibly powerful for brands. If you can inject yourself in that moment and showcase through a motive, whether it's laughing, the uh, powerful crying story about like, you know, how it affected their lives and changed for their families, um, mm -hmm. finding ways to show the ease of use of it. That really is it. Social commerce is based off of what we've done kind of at arm's length on Amazon with like, you know, maybe a drop of a video in the, in the, um, the review section or a bunch of people reviewing it. You're doing it live from a friend, from a person that is perceived as part of your, your group. You've never met them in real life. And the same way that we can tell a family member or a friend to go try this product and they'll probably do it. That's now happening live from the biggest creators in the world 24 seven. You have a ton of case studies, Ryan. And I have to say that since speaking with you, I am going to deep dive into a couple of them for some articles and some follow-ups. But one that caught my eye and really got me thinking was one involving retail inventory targeting, because you wouldn't think of a point of sale, you know, as that being the center of what could be an exciting influencer campaign. Unpack that for us. Tell us about that one. So I'll actually be uh, on stage um, at the end of the month for the C2 Montreal Summit with uh, TikTok and with uh, Johnson & Johnson. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to, uh, you know, right, uh, we created this uh, integration with a company called Atlas that's owned by Advantage Solutions, a public traded company. It's the POS provider for major retailers, i.e. Walmart and Target. Um, and post-COVID, um, supply, and still today, but supply chain issues have been an issue uh, that have affected the ability to drive not just sales, but media dollars to drive sales. Uh, so we came up with an ability by integrating with uh, you know, Atlas and really method, uh, creating a methodology for, is your product available in that market? So right now I am in um, Miami. If a Walmart or Target down the street doesn't have your product on the shelf, don't waste native you know, uh, followers from an influencer or paid media targeting in a certain location if that product isn't available or it's too low of a, a, you know, on, on the on, in the back in the inventory. So what we're able to do is find the locations that have the product in abundance, use hometown heroes to talk about their experience to go buy it and why it's so good for their, you know, same, same as any in creator campaign, why it helps their life or makes their life easier. Um, and then we're able to show in a test and control methodology on a store-by-store -store basis or a regional or national basis, those that were served, we had the product in shelf, those that were uh, held out that had the product in shelf, what was the delta in sales of those locations? So that allowed for a lot of CPG companies that were dealing with these supply chain issues to still continue marketing even after. That is so smart. It's just another layer of data, but it is so important because you're allowing you're making certain rather that brands are not wasting money because what is the sense of advertising if it's not available in that region? So you're looking at the influencer, the hometown here, as you said, the availability. This is really pushing the boundaries. I'd like to stop and wrap up with continuing on that. 
what do you expect? What do you see? What are the possibilities to really stretch this model? I think we are going much, much further than, hey, this is really cool and let me show it to you. Whether you're macro or uh, you know, mac, um, micro influencer, nano influencer, it's also about the data you can bring to the, to the discussion, to the equation. And, and going back to the end of the first thing I talked about, which is the TAM, uh, 16 billion uh, this year is the reported number. We're looking at 28 billion in a couple of years from now. So we're seeing exponential dollars in growth because of the ability to hit audiences. We didn't, even, we didn't even have time to talk about the IDFA of it all and how that's affecting people's ability to, to target people. So this is a new way, a way to hit those audiences, deliver something that is truly impactful and can drive some sort of measurable outcome. Yeah, I, I think for uh, the creators themselves, uh, and as every platform like TikTok pops up, you have a new way to engage with an audience. And for example, take maybe a sidestep. They may have a Twitter, an Instagram, a YouTube, and a TikTok if I'm a creator. And they may have audiences that are completely different for every one of those places. And not only are they potentially different, they also consume and can be triggered to make a decision in different ways. On Twitter, it's usually more polarizing in real time of the moment. Uh, Instagram, it's more aspirational and it's more static images. Now they have the reels piece, but it's, that's been, uh, you know, for many years, that was their, their play. Um, you have YouTube, which is long form uh, uh, integrations over like a 10, 20, 30 minute video, um, kind of like product placement. And then you have YouTube, uh, you have TikTok, which is, um, you know, entertainment, it's joy. It's driving people to do dances and do things that are skits and funny. And all of those things have a power to drive some sort of, uh, Part of the funnel, whether that's awareness, whether that's consideration, whether that's actually first tries, and then really driving that uh, return buy, and that's that's the that's the, not just for us as a company to get repeat business from you know customers. The same thing for one of our clients. How do they get repeat business and get people to uh, never want to turn off, uh, you know, buying it on a subscription or buying the product consistently? And if they do that with the right creators and ambassadors, uh, they will not stop spending money in the creator economy. So inspiring, Ryan, and so smart, some of the um, practices, some of the examples you have shared. I did want to wrap up with just one thing, but I'm going to have to hold it for another show because we've run out of time. But I know that the audience will want to stay in touch with you, watch what's going on over at Influential. What's the best way to do it, Ryan? Uh, go to our website, influential.co, or feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Ryan Dieter uh, at or LinkedIn backslash my name. Well, Ryan, I want to thank you for sharing your time. And I do want to put in my shameless plug that I will get you back. We will talk again because we didn't get into nearly all of the things I wanted to get in because you've also got a lot about listening to semantics, how customers speak and the learnings there. So uh, can I have a promise you'll come back? I'm there wherever you need me. I'm here. Brian, that is awesome. Thanks again so much. In the meantime, you can check out this and all earlier episodes of our show on Amazon, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And if you prefer video, well, hey, we've got you covered there as well because we've got this podcast in video powered by The Groove over on YouTube. So until next time, remember, every minute is mobile. Let's make every minute count. Keep well, and we'll see you soon. 